Welcome to the UK Scriptwriters Podcast. It's me, Danny Stagg. And me, Tim Clay. And today we are with uh, Chris Chibnall, writer and creator of Broadchurch. So it's a very special uh, UK Scriptwriters Podcast. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank Welcome you to your own study. In my we're, office we're... in Dorset. It's a live Dorset podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're very excited. Keeping it Dorset. Keeping it real. Uh, but thanks for letting us, you know, bundle into your... Fancy, uh, fancy office with a great view. We it's got a nice view. I like the way you call it fancy because it's not that at all. But on you know on audio, it's really fancy. Well, yeah, that's it. We're painting. We're painting a picture. We're picking you up, Chris. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing, enormous, isn't it? And uh, it's amazing the huge coastal listeners, views. Li- listeners, listeners, it has its own kitchen. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. riding no. office as its own kitchen, and no. it's probably got a bed in the back. Of it it yeah. does. It does. Yeah. 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 So the, the writing cow will sneakily take some photos. I like that. I like that we're doing this because you accosted me in Pret a Manger at Waterloo Station. I this hope is you're going to confess. This. This. Well, all the deals are done. <laughs> Just a little preamble. Uh, myself and Tim were going up to London for a meeting of some sort recently. It was about a month ago, I think. Yeah. I can't, can't and then uh, we just saw this mysterious man walk by us <laughs> on the concourse of Waterloo, and I was like, "That was that's Chris Chibnall." To which I said. Are you sure? I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> and he was getting further and further away from us, so I just had to go, Chris Chibnall! <laughs> Which I thought you were a ticket inspector. Yeah! <laughs> with, with my wanted poster. Exactly. <laughs> but then you very graciously kind of um, had a chat with us on the steps of Premont, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were like, oh, well, let's stay chatting with Chris. We don't want to go to the meeting no. now. No. Um, so we said, well, we must now be for the podcast, which we've been planning to do for a while we've anyway. We've been talking about it, yeah. haven't we? Yes, yes. And, and often I would have an email from you right in the middle of production. I'd be That's like, right. maybe a couple of months. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, once yeah. we're so out right, of the thing. Now. Uh, what, what sealed the deal for me that we must come and speak to you, Chris, was that we were talking about well, the sort of things we discuss on the podcast, which is like breaking in and who would you send your spec to? Mm. And you said something to me, which probably maybe a slightly poetic license and story. I'm you mean sure. I lied to you? I'm not sure. Let's find out. Right? <laughs> oh, or, maybe, or maybe we'll build up to this point, but just to give a headline to this yes. podcast. But you said to me, well, I think Broadchurch was my first ever spec script. That's yeah. what you said. Now, uh, yeah, uh, that's yeah. going to surprise a lot of people because it surprises me. It's my first ever TV spec. Yeah, I mean, I oh, wrote right. theatre plays like when when I was starting yeah. starting off. I wrote this plays on spec because nobody cared yeah. <laughs> at that point. But uh, no, Broadchurch absolutely hundred percent spec. Uh, okay, yeah, but you see, most people start by churning out a lot of yes. spec stuff yes. in the hope of picking up. Perhaps uh, you know a semi-regular or even just one shout yes. at, at, at writing for an established show that's already being broadcast. Yeah. But you're saying you kind of done it back to front in a, in a small way, which is going to be. A, I know no career is ever typical, but that sounds slightly you know even more no. untypical. I like the de- I like the definition of the word career. That one where it's it's the thing of you career all over the road. You know, and there's no <laughs> yeah. sort of that's for a career for me. Yeah. That's the definition of it, not the sort of yeah. plan, focus, goal, arrow in a straight line yeah. to where you want to be. I just don't. I don't think anybody does that because no. it's so the whims of what's possible yeah. what happens what's offered and then what you're wanting to do as well it's like yeah. a cocktail of all those things well t- i mean that's uh, what a great place to start anyway i guess i mean 
so you, there you were doing your plates. We've got your, we know the two ends of this, if you see what I'm saying. <laughs> so we've got that kind of you uh, write, writing some plays yes. at the start of your career in career. Yep. And then the, the current conclusion of all that hard work being where you're a well-known you know, creator of a successful drama series on ITV. How, how Just, you know, I mean, we can take as long as we want, really, but tell us about that journey from one to the other. How did that actually uh, happen and how much would you, you know, think that's a good way of doing it or is it just, as you say, your way of doing it? It's just think, how it felt. Nobody has a way of doing it, though, do you? I, I, I think you... I think you uh, you're, you're at the whim of everything and, and I think the... It's like almost the most important thing to say is... As a writer, you can do thing something that an actor or a director or a producer can't do. You can generate material. You can generate your own material. Nobody. I think if you get out of the mindset of I'm only going to write when I'm paid to write, then actually you can take a lot more control. So, And that applies as much in the beginning of a career as it does in the middle or you know, when you're much more established. So, um, And even now, as I'm kind of looking at projects going forward... Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this a bit later, but but I, I'm still looking at writing things on spec without a commission because also what that does later in your career is it gives you more creative control. Right. And in a way, that was why I wrote Broadchurch on spec because I had a really terrible experience, um, which I've said before, so it's, like, it's relatively public now, um, on a show for the Stars Network in America, a show called Camelot. Oh, yeah. which, um, I, I tactfully described it to Tim on the way down as ill-fated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, nobody tells you that when you take the job. <laughs> it was quite exciting when like it was to, happening. Would you like to join the ill-fated series that we've got coming up? Um, uh, it, it's, it, it was just a, it was a really difficult experience creatively. It was a great opportunity. We had great actors. It was a big budget, and the, then, but it was it was a uh, there were a lot. I mean, there were thirteen executive producers on it, right. so that can kind of give you a sense of mm. of how complex that got. Um, uh, everybody with the best intentions, and it was a new network, and it just it just didn't it didn't work. It didn't work, you know. The the, the operational side of it didn't work when we were uh, making it, and and so it was impossible to to get it to where we wanted it to be. And it was an unpleasant experience. And so I came out of that. And that's I don't know what's that is two thousand nine, two thousand ten, yeah. perhaps. Um, and that I came out of that experience. A with pneumonia and ended up in a hospital from it and I thought I really this is not the way I want to have my work invade my life and so um, but also I didn't want to go through that process where I was so not in control of something that had my name on it and mm. you know these are high class problems you know in many ways because yeah. you, you know it's hard to earn a living doing it but then once you earn a living doing it it, it, then the, the other problems are people will see stuff and your name will be on it and you'll think, but actually that's not at all what I intended, that's not mm. at all what I wanted uh, and that's in some ways just as bad and, and you yeah. know, I know when you break in you don't believe that but it's, you want your work to represent you as a writer and it's, that's probably one of the unique things about being a writer mm. you, you know um, so that's, so I took some time off, uh, unpaid and I thought I'm going to write 
something just for myself, the thing that I really want to do. Um, and I work and, and um, Sam Hoyle, who who had joined me, she's a, a script editor and script executive on Broadchurch now. But she she joined. She, we worked on Camelot together for the first time, right. and it was such a terrible experience. It was one of those where you would get into the office at the studios, and we would go at, at nine a.m. and go. At least today can't be as bad as yesterday. Oh. And then at the five o'clock, or well, actually more like ten o'clock at night, we'd go. How did that go so wrong today? How yeah. come today was worse than yesterday? And it was just like that was the pattern for the thing. And but she was kind of you know one of the beacons of sanity in that process. And so I said, look, would you, I've got this idea. Would you like to come down to Dorset, where you know where we are now, and we'll sit in the garden, we'll drink tea, and we'll storyline something, and we'll just do it for ourselves, and then maybe we'd take it to a broadcaster. But let's just get back to what the reason is. We were doing yeah, yeah, it in the yeah, first yeah, place, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's the thing that can be, you know, I've, you can see people lose that as they go through the industry. It's hard. It's collaborative. It's, you know, sometimes things work, sometimes things don't. Um, and so we did that. We storylined in the garden out there um, on those whiteboards that are over there, just behind you. Oh yeah, yes. Um, uh, big, big. What are they? Six foot, six foot by three, three? foot. And there's, yeah, three of them. there's three of them, and they're oh, double sided. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right. And the one that is in front is blank at the moment because I'm not going to show you what's on the rest of them. Oh. <laughs> Oh, still, you still use the same method. Oh, oh, my God, that's the whole of that. Yeah, exactly. Just a big picture. <laughs> yeah, of a cliff. That's it. <laughs> you are not here, written on it. That's it, that's I'll it. just rub everything out. <laughs> just oh, yeah, 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 just yeah, put yeah, something absolutely. up that's better. Yeah. That would be helpful. Um, so we, we sort of storylined it, and we, you know, I had a sense of what I wanted to do, to do vaguely, but we just had some fun storylining it, walked a lot, and talked about stories and characters and and then I wrote the first episode we agreed a deadline I wrote the first episode and um and it sort of grew from there really but yeah. that's why I wrote it mm. the, that's the long-winded version of why I wrote that on spec that's a that's a power spec in a way isn't it it's not like it's um, um what I mean is like there's a spec that I would write yeah and give it to my agent and hope for the best kind of thing but with your kind of experience up until that point and even getting somebody like Sam involved yeah that's a bonus really isn't it it's just like yeah, that's uh, almost self-developing something isn't it yeah. it's almost like you're kind of I looking at so. you're almost looking that you're looking at your career you're, th- you're making almost pro- producer style decisions like yes. I feel that there's a gap in the market for a story like this or were you well, thinking no that? no no I wasn't like, thinking that at all you were no, just thinking no. heck I just want to write what I want to write I, I thought it was that okay. I, I, I didn't look at the market at all and actually right. I was I, I'd had that the story sort of in my head and on a, in a little right. document in my ideas document well, what, right what, at the what bottom what was that then Chris I mean talk us through that because I mean uh, we were we were talking about it on the on the way down and yeah. I was a bit like well I wonder if Chris was even looking at the kind of the Nordic style dramas and was just like that'd be almost not funny, but there could be a, something unique in mixing that up with a bit of Dorset. No, it was, <laughs> or, it was. Or was it just like you just you just came at it from you know all weird? Influences? Well, I don't. It was just one of those that just sits in. So I don't know how you guys work, but I have a little document, mm. a, a word document, which just yeah, whenever yeah, I have yeah. an idea, I just put that in there, and I just have a sort of random ideas document. Yeah, that's it. And just with lots of things that are shards of ideas, mm. shards of stories, and every so often I'll, I'll look at it. And so I did one of the first shows I did was a show called Born and Bred, which is a BBC One. Sunday night drama, uh, 1950s cottage hospital, James Boland, Michael French, yeah. you know, uh, uh, right in that demographic. Uh, all, and it was very community driven. It was all, uh, And we did four series of that, and it was quite 
sort of light drama, quite comic in, in the edges, and then there'd be a central sort of emotional story uh, around these two doctors. Um, and after four years of that, I was like, I really, I would love to do the sort of flip side of that mm. story. I'd love to do the darker version of yeah, that, the okay. more contemporary version. It was set in the 50s. Yeah. The contemporary version of about a community with secrets and all that. Mm. So that's like the line that goes right. into my ideas document, okay. you know, community. Okay. And then I was like, oh, murder mystery. Tw- and Twin Peaks is always the yeah. show for yeah. me. Like, you know, I don't know. I was at university when that was on, so yeah. I'd been sort of 19, 20. Mm. Um, uh, and that I was like, oh, I'd love to do a British sort of version of that somehow. So those little, those are the two okay. shards, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, um, uh, then sort of fast forward to 2010, and and that landscape. So the the beach here. So we're a mile from the beach as we mm. as we sit here talking, and that's where I go and do my my walks when. I'm right. at a real nightmare right. point in the script where I think I just don't know what to do. It's all gone wrong. <laughs> I don't know how to solve this. And so that walk along the beach and along the cliffs, there's a big sort of three-mile walk you can mm. do all along the thing. And I was walking there and, and really was just thinking, and the sun was out, and and it was... I sort of thought, God, it is so beautiful here. Someone should shoot something. Someone should... Mm. Why doesn't anybody film something here? And... That was a slow development into the thought of no wait you could shoot you live here you idiot mm-hmm. and and actually I felt stu- I'd been here six or seven years by that point mm-hmm. so I felt dumb at that point and then it was like oh wait that idea about a community if you put it here you know so it's that slow that thing we were just saying before we started recording you know that question of where do you get your ideas from yeah it's like. There's no such thing as an idea. There's three ideas yeah, that yeah, become actually, one, no, but you don't yeah. often have an idea where you go, oh, that's yeah, it. No. You know, you go, and that's why I always keep them in a document because you mm. go, then you, five years later, you read back that page and you go, yeah. oh, hang on, that needs another three ideas for mm. it to become exactly. a thing. Exactly. And then you just keep adding and layering. <clears throat> so, um, no, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Go go back to Born and Bred then. Yes, back in the day. Yes, uh, like to a lot, <laughs> to, like to a lot of people, listening to a lot of our listeners and so on. Like that would be a good. They'd be happy with building up towards that. Yeah, as, and as put, was I. And you, but you're sort of now, obviously, in retrospect, you're putting that towards the start of your career. But how do you get from writing your small plays, you know, yes. that go on yes. in the fringe, yep. yeah, to like four? Whole you know series seasons. You were co-creator. Yeah, I was co-creator. That's like a big old leap, you know. It was a big old leap. Uh, Yeah, I mean, but it's only the start of a career in retrospect. You you know, that could be a a happy conclusion for a lot of people. I think every script you think is the last one. You know, I reject, and also you think nobody's going to buy this, nobody's going to watch this, nobody's, you know. So I think that's what I mean by you know, you can talk about a career in retrospect. You're not living a career. Yeah, yeah. you're not going now for for my career. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. in fact, the only time I've done that was with Camelot. I thought it'd be good uh, to do an American show, uh, uh, good uh, to show them for the Americans. It was horrible. I hated mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, uh, I mean, that was a particular set of circumstances. Um, uh, so, well, I've been writing for um, a fringe theatre in Hampton Wick, mm-hmm. Grip Theatre, which was run by Martin Richards, uh, and there was a guy called Tim Williams who was the sort of literary manager there. But, I mean, it was it was a room above a pub and... Um, they had said to me they they put a little advert in Time Out saying plays wanted, which is feels like something from the 1950s now. Yeah. You would never see that now. Yeah. Um, 
And I lived around the corner in Teddington. I'd been to university in uh, St Mary's in Strawberry Hill, done drama there. Uh, and I was working for a little touring theatre company and I was writing in the evenings um, and thinking I really wanted to be a, a playwright. And I had a play on at Manchester Contact Theatre when I was... 19, 18, 19 in the Young Playwrights Festival, 18 actually, and which was amazing. So it was like half an hour play. It was put on. I was in a rehearsal room for half a day with some actors, and I was that was it for me for life. Then it was like, oh, that's what I want to do. But I'd never get to do that. You know, and then you spend ten years, yeah. literally ten years, probably trying to get to that point where you can. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that might be a thing you could do regularly or make a mm. career of, or you know. And I never thought I'd make a career of it, actually. Never. I thought, if I could get stuff put on, that would be an amazing thing. I would work during the day. Maybe to have a play on in the evening would be the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I sent a play in response to that ad that mm-hmm. I'd written. Again, you know, I'd written a couple of plays. I didn't think... Uh, that, that phrase, on spec, probably wasn't in the ether there. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. Like, I was just fucking about in the evenings you yeah, know, yeah. Not, not, not going out because I didn't have any money so I was like okay alright well uh, I'll bang out I'll play, yeah then. exactly like, you know. like Ernie Wise yeah. <laughs> very much like Ernie Wise which is how it remains um, uh, and uh, but I had this script and I sent it so I mean having a script is a key thing mm. I think I mean, it's obvious thing to say but it's like you have a script so that when you see those ads that feel like a little you know in a film it would have little golden twinkles yeah, around it yeah, and lovely yeah. sort of Danny Elfman music um, and um, I sent that to Martin at, uh, at this theatre and he and Tim had read it and, and I met Martin he sort of weighed the play in his hand we were in the pub downstairs and he said every other play we've received is has got wizards and 90 year old 90 year old men and set in a forest and uh we can't put them on. He said, yours is about three blokes in a room and we can do that in the room above this mm. pub. So I quite like it. He said, oh, we'll give it a go. And and then it sort of, he said, he and Tim both said, we'll do, let's, we, we'll call you our writer in residence. There was no money in any of this. Everybody was working yeah, for free, yeah, actors, yeah, yeah. you know, usual French story. And um, uh, he said, well, whatever you write for the next year, write another play or you write another couple of plays, we'll put it on. You can be our writer in residence, we'll call you that. Wow. And, yeah, amazing. And 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 it's the thing every writer needs is mm. a mentor or a sponsor mm. or some, or actually somebody to go, you're not shit. Yeah. You know, you, this is good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or this is performable or there's something in here. It's not, it's not, mm. you're not in any way the finished product, but there's something in here. Um, so he was as good as his word and, and so I wrote, so that play went on and then, I did two more full-length plays, a couple of short plays, helped me organise a short play festival, and it just became that. And then, and I got an agent through that. Okay. So once I, when I had the plays on, so having something on, hmm. you, you then bomb, I then bombarded. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's something to invite people to. Isn't something, yeah. There, yeah. So there was agents. There was I was right to the bill uh, and EastEnders, and you know, and sometimes there would be like a phone call on the answer machine going, "There's somebody coming from EastEnders tonight," yeah. you know, um, and. Uh, uh, and and then agents as well, and I got an agent through that, and then she invited sort of TV people down, and then actually a couple of TV people. So Diedrich Santa, who now is taking mm. over at Kudos, came down and saw. Uh, no, he didn't come down. He read the plays. Just, just um, he read the plays. I think being sent either being sent through my agent or or 
anyway um, and he called me in and he'd done, I'd done a half hour it was like a 20 minute play called Quicksilver and it was the history of a relationship in 20 minutes it was a two hander right, right. it was quite elliptical and it was just all one movement from a mm. first meet to the end of right, a relationship right. and um, he and I, he was at Granada then and he, he um, called me in and uh, we had a meeting so I had a meeting at Granada you know went to ITV Towers yeah. well, you know and did that so that was very exciting and got on really well with him and and he said we've got this idea on the shelf which we've paid somebody for so it's Nigel McCrary who co-created Silent Witness co-created New Tricks later yeah. um, wrote all the Kings or co-created all the Kings Men that David Jason for you know he'd done it he got a good track around they bought an idea off him um, about about steam trains in the 1950s and he was like have a look at this page and see what you think and and uh, and I did, and I took it away, and it was, it was, there was, there was something there, but it was, you know, it, it was very close to the Titfield Thunderbolt. It mm. was quite, you know, mm. there, was, there wasn't much there, but they were very sort of high on this idea. And I went back to him and said, "Well," and he said, "We think it's a Sunday night series." And I said, "Well, okay, but you know, I would love to do a sort of modern." All creatures great and small. If we could do that and get a feeling that that's not this, but mm. you know, maybe there's a thing. I was set in the sixties, was in like mid sixties. Um, uh, so it was very heartbeaty. It was very yeah. very clear, you know. And they, you know, they bought it off him for a significant amount of money, mm. and it was really a page of A four. And I think Nigel would be the first to say, "Well, he he'd done a good deal there." Mm. <laughs> you know? um, so we were just talking around it, and I said, "Well, okay," and we just talked about it and then he got me to meet Sue Hogg and Simon Lewis who were then at Granada we had a meeting they then said well if you want to write a script based on this maybe we could you know and that was one of my first commissions really um, and that went through development it got given to ITV they turned it they said oh we really like it we don't want to do it um, and then Sue and Simon left for the BBC and took this script with them and yeah. it was like their first Right. green light at the BBC and they were like and we, we'd, and we developed it a lot it changed into a cottage hospital it changed yeah. you know it, it was a long period of things so. but, and were you really excited about that Chris or was it like you're saying in the way you were you know you were happy doing the plays and the, and the, or yeah. were you doing the plays because you you know and then you're thinking really I want to do TV but I've, I can't I can't get into that, I'll, but this plays opportunity, playwriting opportunity, well, residence. I, I don't, you know, yeah. like you say, an unpaid opportunity, but still, you know, great. Or was it like if if that had turned into a life of being a playwright, would you have been equally? Happy? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah I love both. I mean, I, I, and I did drama at university, and that I loved doing that. It was a really great course, and the really great people on that uh, had a lot of fun. So I really like theatre and and really love doing that and still I did a play last year at Salisbury Playhouse so I still do that a, mm. a bit although TV's mm. a bit more all-encompassing yeah, yeah, you know yeah. uh, and um, well we've so, jumped we've jumped ahead Chris even because we've we've missed your very first TV piece which was the monologue piece with James Bolden it was yes Storm and Norman. yes so let's take a moment to champion the person who brought you in for that or how that panned out. It was yes. So this was Philip Shelley, who ah. I'm sure you know. We know Philip Shelley. Hello, Philip. Know, who, is, knows, Philip. who is one of those uh, one of those producers and and sort of script gurus who so many writers' paths have, have crossed and been helped mm. by Philip and and um, and he. Uh, so I'd written a monologue about a football manager called Gaffer, which was one of the plays that had gone on. At the, it was like the third full-length play I'd done at this grip theatre, right, right. and um, 
and I think my agent had submitted it to the Carlton writing course, which was running then, which right. Philip was running with Esther Springer at Carlton, and they would do... It was a thing they, a thing they did every year where you'd, I think they'd have eight or nine writers, maybe even more, maybe it was more like 12, and you would write a TV... You'd do two weekends. This is my memory of it. It may not be quite right, but you, so you'd, across a six-month period, you do a, a one weekend... People would come and talk. There would be various writers, directors. Then you would write a one-hour script, and they would there would be a reading of it and notes at the second week or responses at the second weekend. And during that period, you would you do a couple of drafts, and you would get notes mm. on it from Philip and Esther. I think it's very roughly. It's quite a long time ago. Uh, you've just come here today to make me feel old. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> um, and but I'd the, the, the script gaffer had been submitted, and the script reader had given it a no and put it in a thing and Philip pulled it out of the no pile because it was about a football manager and he's a big football fan right, he's right. a Fulham fan uh, and read it and went no I want this guy on the course he's brilliant I want this guy on the course um, so it was really one of those because mm-hmm. the terrible thing is what you need is a, a bit of luck every yeah. so yeah, often yeah, yeah, yeah. well know, we said that it was, you know, better it was something lucky something that <laughs> yeah it is but it always is But it, and it's that thing of you have to that thing about making you, you've got to be ready to be lucky yeah you know exactly. <laughs> that yeah. sounds wanky but you, no, you know what I true. mean you've got it's to true. write no, the no, scripts no, no, no. to be lucky yeah. so that people read it yeah. you've also got to be then ready with ideas or and great to work with so that when you yeah. have those meetings or people phone you up and go yeah. you can you do know. something with that bit yeah. of luck yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean actually going into that course I thought well, they don't really want me to be on this because I was in the no pile and everybody else got through fine on the, you know, normal thing. You know, Philip told me that story as if to say, the you're very lucky, the and I was like, yeah, it was exactly, there you go. You're lucky to be here. Um, uh, and but that was half hour, wasn't it? TV? Yeah, yeah. So out of that course, after that course, they were doing this show, Tony Grounds had created this show called First Sign of Madness, uh. which... Carlton, it was a regional drama only, so it was like 7.30, Thursday night, four half hours. I mean, they just don't do these anymore. No, it's really no. annoying. Um, only ever went out in the Carlton region. Mm. And um, Tony had written the first series, and they were all brilliant. And um, so first sign of Manus, as in people talking to themselves, so it was yeah. all monologues. And they then said, well, Tony doesn't want to do the second series, was my understanding of it, and w- would you be interested in writing one? And... Um, come back with an idea and I had this idea about a tube driver oh and it has to be London centric because mm. it's a regional drama mm. and I had this idea about a tube driver on his last day of work right, yeah, and yeah. Uh, wrote that and, and they set me up and I went and spent a day with a tube driver on the central line and sat in the carriage and nice. you know Drove the train for one stop, I'm sure, against all health and safety really? regulations. This was 1999, yeah. you know, it's like, you get away with anything. And um, and then wrote it very quickly, actually, because I just spoke to this guy and spoke to a load of tube drivers. So did the research, mm. which sort of been a constant all the way through. The sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, whenever yeah. you're doing the stories, there's as much research as possible. Mm. Um, and they chose to do it so they they did it in that second series and and they got James Boland to do it and, yeah. which was amazing was literally one of my favorite actors well, did you it's on youtube is it it's on youtube oh brilliant and even at the end oh, of it yeah. uh, the carlton announcer comes on and goes and there'll be more next week and you're like <laughs> what what are you talking about Actually, this is just a one off for chris Chibnall kind of thing. Like, and there'll be more next no week. i was like episode 3 uh, i can't remember there was charlotte jones had written one uh, with Pam Ferris, which was, I think, I think she'd done the Pam Ferris one, which was brilliant. And there were the four, they were great, mm. you know. Um, and, um, oh, how brilliant that's yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, I didn't know split that. split into, like, into two videos, like part okay. one and part two, but they're there. God it's bless whoever put that Your up. Your name comes up, Philip's name comes Philip up. Philip and Esther was the script editor. Yeah, um, yeah so, so, 
Um, I, I loved doing that, and I'm, I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen it in 15 years, but I feel very proud of it, and it felt quite complete to me. And mm. and actually, they and, and Alan Dosser directed it. Who directed, you know, Beidebeck tapes and all these great things. So working with him, and we, mm. uh, we took over the old Witch Tube station for a day to, oh, to you know, and, and really, it was it was really. Great, and I felt very proud. And then from that, they offered me an episode of um, Crossroads, the, the, which I, uh, it probably isn't on any CV. No, this is new. I mean, not, not on my list. Know, that's what I mean. All the IMDb's and Wikipedia's—they're just they what people want to put. You know, yeah. but I did—I don't know—episode forty-three of Crossroads or right, something yeah. um, that they just brought back. So was, they brought it back once, and then they sort of put it on hiatus and mm. revamped it, and made it glitzy. But when they brought it back the first time. It was pretty good, and it was a good lunchtime soap. And I wrote an episode of that. So did went to Birmingham, did the storyline in conference, mm. did all that sort of. Oh my mm. god, I'm you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so Stormy Norm was the first time I'd been properly paid for something that went into production, and then Crossroads was the second time. Um, and this was around the same time I was developing this idea with Diedrich. Mm. Um, so all those things were ticking away at the same time, but they'd all come from theatre. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and from sort of generating that, and uh, but but yeah, to answer your question, I I mean I'm a huge f- fan of television and have been a, a big sort of uh, f- uh, fanboy of TV drama, and it was a great period when I was growing up. I don't know how old you guys are, but you're talking about you know, and actually if you look at the DVD shelves there, yeah, it's like it's got them, yeah. a very British coup and yeah, you know yeah, Cracker yeah. and you know, but but no, we already all all identified you as someone in in your middle age. Uh, years, Chris, because the fact you've you. got DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I've still got some VHSs. Do you? No, I can't see. So, no. all right, okay. If I, I've maybe got some in the loft of stuff. <laughs> I've probably got the born and bred transmission <laughs> VH off air with the continuity yeah, announcer yeah. where I was like, oh my God, and the first think, trails that I went out. I think it was him that put that on YouTube, Danny. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't have Storm in Norm. Do I have it on DVD? I don't know. No, because even the video was like, you could tell it was like. It was video, it's got the little yeah, yeah. sort of crackles and, you know. But that kind of, you know, that, that era of Alan Bleasdale and, and Willie yeah, Russell and those, yeah, the, you know, yeah, really yeah, extraordinary yeah. 80s drama. Yeah. That had come um, from guys that had grown up doing doing age. Plays, yeah, you know, absolutely. Kind of yeah, and yeah. things like you know, I kind of think there's a show called I don't know whether you remember it, it was really obscure called Deadhead, oh. which Howard Brenton wrote, oh, right? Yeah. And is with Dennis Lawson in the lead, and it's a noir set in London. It was a real BBC Two, oh, okay. uh, you know, it's it's absolutely bonkers, but yeah. it's it sounds great already. Howward Brenton doing a detective yeah, thriller. There was, um, there was some, there was some more surrealist things in those days, too, yeah, wasn't there? yeah, there were like hyperreal things, yeah, all sorts and of... quite theatrical subjects yeah, as well, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so there wasn't a division for me mm. in between theatre and television, oh. it was just about I just wanted to write drama. Yeah. What about films, uh, Chris? Have you ever, you know, flirted with that yeah, <laughs> or, or gone further than flirt? I'm, I'm doing a screenplay at the moment oh, for, right, for, okay. for, uh, for, so a, for a that's studio. Like that's a board, yeah. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's email. No, it's not, it's not. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm doing one at the moment for, a, for a, uh, uh, an American studio, and um, yeah, so that's the first time I've done that. I've always, it's the thing. It's always about the ideas, to be honest. It was about the material. It's about the material and the producers. And so, if you, I haven't really found with film that I, there was a piece of material and a brilliant producer that I really wanted to commit a long period of time for. And I love the people I've. I've been really lucky in TV generally. You know, one little parenthesis aside that we were talking about earlier, I've worked with really people I really love and have, have returned to working with them again and again and developed that relationship. So there's been no reason. And I think. 
I've just always felt that TV could punch as hard as film, and mm. and yeah. I think you definitely see that at the moment. But yeah. I think that was you could see that coming over a long period of time, and and you could, but you there know. was a period, the dark days, if you like. Um, yeah, like which is sort we, of when talk, I started. You, in, in a way, yes. So yeah. you you kind of after Dennis Potter. Yeah. But before the current resurgence. Yes. The box set resurgence, or yes. what, what you might call it, there was a kind of a slump where it felt like TV wasn't really doing much of an interesting nature. It was playing it safe. I well, think, I think British TV probably was. I would say yeah, that British sort of, TV. Yeah, British know, TV. Yeah. What's that? Maybe mid nineties to yeah. early two yeah, thousands exactly, to yeah. two thousand. It yeah. was quite. You know, Heartbeat was the biggest show on TV mm, yeah. and had been going on for ten yeah. years. And yeah, and and you know, in a way, that first show that I got commissioned was was part of the tail end of that. I yeah. think when I think what changed is when Jane. Tranter came in to BBC One, and then you know, the first show she green lights is I mean, she does a raft of shows she green lights, one of which is Born and Bred, but which Ooh. is still a much more traditional yeah. show. In the uh, but then she green lights spooks, yeah, and she green lights cutting it, which was Ooh. quite new. That oh, you know, yeah, yeah. there was a little raft of about four or five Ooh. shows, and we were in amongst it, but we, we weren't sort of the trendy, yeah. although we were getting eight, nine million, yeah. you know, we were the bit, and when we did the thing, they we sort of took. ITV's clothes from them on a Sunday night and, and proved you could do it in a more sort of BBC way and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but I think that that it's actually when Kudos come into the mm. game and go mm. why can't we be, have the same production values and same excitement as as, yeah, 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 yeah. as film you know and, and David Wilson's craft writing spooks is a real big mm. thing and then you've got Tony coming in with Hustle and you yeah. know, and then it yeah. sort of changes and then obviously Doctor Who comes in and then that sort of blows up the whole game in a really great way but um, yeah it wasn't a great Period, but what about? Um, I mean, but America, but what it was yes. it was American cable TV at that that's point it. was really you that's could it. see something was yeah, that's shifting, right. and actually the main conversations were why aren't we doing as well as the Americans are doing, mm. um, and will that ever happen here? And actually, of course, now you feel like it's more than happened. Actually, mm. if you go to America now, they want to know how we do it. Mm. You know, and that's really interesting. Yeah. A lot of writers uh, these days um, that are. You know, on the way up, up and coming mm. writers, mm. they find that they get terribly pigeonholed in genre. Yes, yes. You've got quite an eclectic. Uh, yeah, that's exactly genre my mix. next question. Okay, <laughs> just took, you took it out of my mouth. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm going to ask him about genre. Now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, although you've got some kind of, I don't know if you'd lob. Spooks and Doctor Who and I never wrote Torchwood. for Spooks, so so no, Code Nine. Well, I, no, I didn't really write for that. I did a, I did a quick polish for like okay. a couple of days, which okay. didn't. Oh, I'm not taking credited that out. on Spooks. Taking going, that, no. I forget right, we take, mentioned that. Take, take, <laughs> uh, taking that. Well, Life out, on yeah. Mars really. Was yeah, yeah. Cross genre piece really. In That's a way. cross genre. Yeah, but you've yeah. got, but you have got Doctor Who in there. Yes. Um, and you've got the Great Train Robbery, and you've got Broadchurch, yes. yes. Torchwood, yeah. Life on Mars, yeah. Born yeah. and Bred. Yeah. These are a weird, yeah, yeah, bag of stuff that you've somehow managed to get onto. Right. Okay. I mean, really deliberately. After I did, so I did Born and Bred. So he has got a career plan, though. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't have a, <laughs> a careering plan. I don't have a career plan. I have a point where you finish a project and you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going else. to do the yeah. same thing. Okay. So coming okay. off right. Born and Bred, you know, that had become that. Had, I mean, the Born and Bred was my first one-hour TV script, mm. and that got made. So I had to, so four years on Born and Bred. And particularly, I wasn't as involved in the fourth season, though I, I did a couple of rewrites and some... I was an exec by that point, but I was doing other things. But the, it was like I was like a education in TV production for me coming off that. And, and it was 
very popular actually for and and so to sort of launch with a big Sunday night BBC One show um, was was quite a shock. Mm. Um, and but I probably wrote about I don't know sixteen or seventeen episodes across the run. So from having done nothing to doing mm. that, and then when the series ended. Um, I really thought long and hard. I was getting offered a lot of, yeah, come and create a Sunday night show, come and create a family show, come and create an eight o'clock show because those are very difficult mm. to generate, you mm. know. Um, and so I got lots of those offers and I said n- no to them all. And then I'd had a meeting with Kudos. In fact, I'd had a meeting with Kudos after Born and Bread where I'd pitched them my with Faith Penhale and Claire Parker. So Faith is now head of drama at BBC Wales. She was script editor at Kudos at the time. And I said to them, what I really want to do is I sort of want to write like a murder, like almost the dark version of Born and Bread, a murder mystery set in a Lancashire village. And they were like, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that, yeah, all right. Uh, we've got this show that we're, we're doing, you know, and they so I'd sort of pitched them, accidentally pitched them Broadchurch 10 years yeah, earlier yeah. Um, in that classic development meeting where they're like, mm-hmm, 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 yeah, great, and we've got this thing. And you're like, oh, they don't want that then. Um, and they said there's this series going and it's kind of, it's quite difficult to explain, so uh, there is still a writing slot open. Um, and they sent it to me and I read the first episode which Matt Graham had, had written of Life on Mars and I was so blown away by it and and I read it thinking this is the show we never do in this country mm, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. thing that we were yeah, saying, yeah, saying yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a lot of stuff going on in yeah. America yeah. I was like this is the one this is the thing that and, and it wasn't clear and, and everybody in the show would I think tell you this it wasn't clear whether it was going to find an audience yeah. Oh, yeah. you just read it and you went Wow, yeah. you know this is a this is a guy who gets run over in a car crash and he's back in 1973 and that's just it. There's mm-hmm. no explanation in, in that first yeah. episode. There's no. It's brilliant. It's an amazing script. I got to the end of the script, put it down, and went whoa, and I just rang them up and said yes, yes, please. You know, um, uh, and uh, but deliberately because it was so far away from. Yeah. Uh, born and bred, and it was in a different genre. It was a different. It was nine o'clock rather than eight o'clock, and it, so I, I, yeah, I deliberately didn't, um, didn't, didn't go for those other things because I didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I, yeah. you could see. I mean, so I suppose yes. In, in terms of planning a career, what I just wanted to do was doing was partly planning a career, and it's partly. You don't want to get bored with your job, you know. You you, you actually. But is this kind of part naivety in a way as well? Thinking, oh, I can. Do you mean you you're calling me stupid? Don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, a lot of people, a lot yeah. of writers wouldn't have the luxury to go. Well, I'm just going to do something else now, and uh, sit. Yeah, or, or maybe the guts to if they were getting another offer to say, yeah, I'm not going to. If I say no to that, these guys are never ever going to take my calls again. And so that's our, you know, I've burnt my bridges. Yeah, with, and that was with, a, with company X Y Z or whatever. There was certainly a feeling of that. I mean, I really, yeah, there was a lot of things I turned down with really nice people who were, yeah. but it was very within the zone I'd done. Mm. And also, I thought that's not quite who I am as a writer as well. So that was a consideration. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think it was naivety and and and, uh, uh, I, but in a very positive kind of. Frame of mind, almost. Or well, in I think a, in a, in you a know, good position. It, it's uh, maybe this sounds really stupid, but but I never thought I would earn a living as a writer. Mm. So when I started earning a living as a writer, I kind of wanted to make sure I just really enjoyed it and had fun and worked with the good people. 
and, and that the process was enjoyable. And that feels very important to me in every decision. And so therefore it, the decision-making isn't what is going to be best for you as a career. It's actually what am I going to enjoy most? And I think enjoying it most means you can do your best work. Of course. And, and actually I just didn't want, I didn't have anything else to say in that sort of format of Sunday yeah, at yeah, 8 yeah. o'clock. Mm. Um, and we probably pushed at it, you know, sometimes a little too far, both comically and mm. dramatically and tonally in the series. And there's yeah. a certain point so we that, started that getting well a bit... That well was dry, kind of. That thing. well was dry, yeah, yeah. And um, and so, therefore, then going into Life on Mars, it was just the perfect thing because it mm. was so not within what I'd done. And to get that offer felt very mm. exciting. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was a there was a naivety. There was a bloody-mindedness and naivety. It, no, it's, that, but it's a good thing to have, though. But I also had theatre. So it was yeah. like that thing of... Okay, well, maybe I won't work for a couple of years in TV. Maybe that yeah. that after that, because also I was thinking, okay, my show's ending. It wasn't like mm. we said we want to end the show. The BBC were like, you've done four years. It start. They'd moved the fourth season to Wednesday night because they had a problem right. on Wednesdays. Right. It was doing fine on Sundays. They moved it to Wednesdays because they wanted to reinvigorate Wednesdays. It died on its ass on a Wednesday night, and um, then the show was dead. So you, I wasn't there thinking mm. what I'll do is plan my career. I was thinking, okay, that may just be it for me in television. Yeah, yeah. you know, I was thinking that that could be it. Um, maybe maybe bold is a better uh, word to use. It's like, nothing's bold nothing at the time. Is I mean, it's like that's what I mean by everything in retrospect. Yeah. I think it was but, just... Uh, what you did, Chris, is something that I think not enough writers do do, which is to actually think about... Uh, Themselves. You know, <laughs> well, in a way, yeah, like, where could, what is the fallback position? So the point is, Chris was like, well, look, what I want to do is this, and do you know what, if it's not that, I'll just go and do some plays, which I know it makes it sound really easy, like that's easy as well. But it, you know, what I mean? you had something, you had something else, and you realised what you could live with. So yes. that took the desperation out of that decision, meaning that you could yes. make a sensible and creative decision rather than a financial wobble decision. I, I think that's the that's yes, that's probably part of it, and and I think, um, I think knowing that knowing that you're in a privileged position doing the job anyway. Go okay, but if I've just had my run, that's fine. Yeah, and therefore I'm not, you know, yeah, I, yeah. then then that's all right. And actually, I've loved doing that, and that feels more than I ever mm. hoped for when I was writing plays in the evenings, and not even fringe theatres were interested. Mm. So, so therefore, I just want to keep my sense of enjoyment and engagement and delight at the job, mm. because actually, the, the worst thing, you, the worst thing you can ever meet is a cynical writer who doesn't want to write anymore it's literally like those people and I met a few of those at the beginning of my career mm-hmm. people have been and also people have been writing a long time and then the systems had changed and you know people who started yeah. writing on and they were still doing typewriters and carbon copies and really yeah. a second draft was typos and that was it and then they the mm. computers had come in the whole system had changed there were more script editors and they were angry at ever being asked to rewrite I, I'm, those people were around when I started my career. Right. Well, they're still and, around. Well, yes. That's but, and exact tell me, writers are turning up hungover, sleeping on the couch, going, which episode am I? Oh, no. Yeah, and I'm like, what? How are they getting the gigs? Well, they wouldn't be getting it again. <laughs> <laughs> they have some sort of track record that gets in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then they're just like breezy in, breezy out. Kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and I, so, so I very deliberately, you don't want to be that person, and, you, and you know, it's, that's hard. Hmm. That's, uh, sorry, so this is a long-winded answer, really, in, but in the sense of I just wanted to make sure the next thing I did would be as enjoyable as... Because I loved doing Born and Bread. I loved it. Uh, and I was ready to move on anyway, mm. And and but then I thought, but what is it? What is the next thing? And, and I didn't know, and then, thank God, Matt 
Graham and mm. Tony mm. Jordan and Ashley kind of came up Ashley Ferrer got, came up with the idea for that show mm. and then allowed me to write you know mm. episode 7 and it was was just a joy it was the best experience I ever had mm. they were they were amazing they were very welcoming mm. uh, Tony Jordan in particular he let me sit on on his notes for episode 5 I think that's right of, of that season he wrote 5 or 6 maybe and because it was such an odd show he said okay just, yeah, just yeah, come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've written the first draft. Read my first draft. You can sit in on my notes session just to see what we're talking about wow. now. Which I, I've never known anybody That's ever do. Right. I mean, so it speaks to Tony's generosity yeah, and yeah, and yeah, yeah, he is and and his support of. You mm. know, I've never, I've never actually heard of that happening anywhere else no, no, at all. No. Um, so everybody was great on that, really, mm. and and had a great director, S. J. Clarkson, and oh yeah, you know, really, yeah, she directed those. Uh, those episodes so it was uh, I loved doing Life on Mars and, and Matt and Ashley have become really good friends now over the years and, and um, uh, that was a really terrific experience so I was lucky then and then that, that show became a real yeah. hit and a particular word of mouth hit and a particular version of something where people are like oh they're doing that that's yeah. amazing yeah do you want to jump to Broadchurch now, Danny, or do you want to talk about other things? Uh, well, I mean, let's go through... Let's jump through... I mean, Torchwood... Yeah. Um, there's a, almost a natural segue in terms of genre-wise, I guess, from Life on Mars yeah, to Torchwood. Although, think, again, at the same time, totally not. No, no. I mean, I think Ju- uh, Julie Gardner was the, is the common factor there. So she was... She, she was head of BBC Wales. She was executive producer on Doctor Who. She was starting up Torchwood, but she was also an executive producer on Life on Mars. So... And I think, I don't know whether she knew that I was a, a, a Doctor Who fan mm. sort of when I was younger. Mm. Um, and we'd had a conversation about how great the... So the revamp was going. first series of the new Doctor Who probably was going on as we were filming Life on Mars Series 1. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah. It feels like it probably... Sounds was. right. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, her, her talking about it. And then, yeah, so she asked me whether I wanted to do an episode of that. It was just one episode at the time. Because what we're getting into now, I think, is the show running aspect. Mm. Of- well, I'd, I'd done that on Born and Bred. So on Born and Bred, mm. I was... It's the first series I was just the, the writer. And then the second series... And in between series one and two, and I, I'd been across a bit of casting, and Sue Hogg and Simon Lewis were very collegiate actually in going look if you want to see how things are done obviously you're welcome on set as much as you want um, but you, you can also come and look at the edits mm. and you get the, so they were and you can watch all the rushes and if you want to give some notes you know filter them through us but we want mm. to hear your thoughts on it uh, which is extraordinary for a first time writer mm. it was great and particularly then when it was the TV wasn't really working like that then mm. this is 2001 um, and so and then in the second series they said let's make this more formal so you can be a co-producer I think it was co-producer and but that whole thing of coming to the edit giving notes on edits being across all the casting we just got formalised a bit more and I was a bit more involved and and obviously then I was working with other writers as well so I was helping them story that line their episodes I was giving notes on other scripts and that sort of grew across that so that was my training ground really that show they were very good about doing that and very good about imparting knowledge and, and so I watched them at work and, and that was my proper sort of school and then um, so and I didn't have didn't do any of that on Life on Mars that was just a lovely yeah, little you know yeah, yeah, yeah. jump in do so yeah. I mean that's the joy of going on somebody else's series you do your episode you go home it's, it's fantastic you know it's like you don't have to worry about anything else um, and then when Torture came about 
I had a conversation with Julie Gardner. She was very secretive about it. She sort of said during Life on Mars, we've got something, but I can't tell you. Which is classic Julie Gardner. She'd always go, I've got this amazing thing I can't tell you for two years. Drama. Yeah. <laughs> she was always brilliant. at the sell. But it's also the sell. You know, it's like, I've got this thing. Um, and we met and she said, well, we just don't tell anyone we're doing a post-Watershed spin-off of Doctor Who starring Captain Jack, which was like that sort of thing at that point after first series had gone out and you were like oh my god that whole thing is exploding and yeah, yeah, yeah. what on earth is that show because I have no idea what that show is mm. and so I said oh well yeah there was no script there was a page outline from Russell um, but you could it was just that moment around BBC Wales of and TV actually Life mm. on Mars and Doctor Who mm. just like oh something's happening something's shifted wow and it was the stuff that was very much to my taste mm. as well and so we had the meeting I said yeah I'd love to do one you know uh, and that was sort of it. And I said, if you want any, you know, just, just, I'm, I'm really happy to do one. And if you want anything else, just, just shout. If you want mm. a couple, you know. And then I don't know. I can't remember what the time gap was between that conversation and then nothing really happened. And then a few weeks or a month or two later, she rang him and said, "Would you like to be lead writer? And would you like to be a, 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 a sort of co-producer on it as well?" And I was like. Right. In fact, I remember I was. I can remember where I was when I, I was sitting on the stairs in our house on the phone, going, "Why is that?" You know. And she said, "Well, you've done it on that show, and you've you know seen how you worked on Life of Mars." But I mean, uh, and maybe I, had I met Russell then. I don't know. Was there something maybe in not. the episodes that you'd written that you that they'd obviously read those and at that point was there something in there do you think that they in retrospect do you think it's because I'm in ta- on Torchwood on Torchwood no, this was before I'd written anything you hadn't so actually this was written was a, it no it's probably in response to Life on Mars I think what okay. I, like on Life on Mars I'd come in and I was not it wasn't a difficult process I was right. quite I was low maintenance I was the mm. scripts went through a really nice process they were happy with the end results and you know so so I don't know whether that had any I, you'd have to you'd have to ask Julie I genuinely don't know um, but I suppose I was one of the few with a track record of yeah. I'd produced some television mm. and, you know. Yeah. Um, so I genuinely don't know mm. uh, it was a punt. And that's, you know, the thing about Julian Russell is they will take a, mm. they will take a punt. Mm. And also, I'm sure, probably at the start, Russell thought he'd write more and produce more and then yeah, yeah, he, they yeah, realised yeah, what yeah. doing... Do- I, yeah. Sure, it was just needs must, mm. to be honest. I don't mm. kid myself it was about me. No. I think it was actually about the circumstances. Mm. Um and then, and so we did that, and that was, I mean, Torchwood Series 1 was an absolute crazy process of of what you can make when you're up against time, mm. when there's not enough resources, you know, and it's an, it's imperfect, that first series, but it's kind of amazing as mm. well, you know, it's not, it doesn't, uh, but we, I mean, Russell delivered that first script, you know, sort of, he delivered half of it in, like, the October, and this is what, and then, and then the, the whole of it in probably like the fourth day of January. This is episode one mm. of Torchwood. And we were on air with 13 episodes October the 20-something, mm. 26th. So in 10 months, and you think about the effects in that mm. series, the post-production, and there were nine or ten writers, you know. So it was an impossible thing that happened. Mm. And that's, if you want to know anything about Julia or Russ, it's like they do the impossible. They make things happen, that force of will. And they just pull all of us along with mm. it, you know. Um and so I was involved with that, but that was quite a gentle. I wasn't. It was. I mean, I wrote a lot of episodes, really, mm-hmm. and that and that was the thing. And I worked with some of the other writers, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't sort of key in. Do you like the giving of the notes process as opposed to receiving it? 
I actually I like both yeah. to be honest I really like getting notes particularly good notes because you know that's the thing particularly people you know you're in sync with and you, you're making the same show and you're all signed up to that process I love that I mean I love a I enjoy a second draft more than a first draft to be honest um, and uh, yeah I love working with other writers I mean I, I, I liked it particularly once we got to the second series of Torchwood I really enjoyed it the first series was difficult because Russell had a vision for the show and it was it was trying to sort of tease out what his vision was for the show what it was and what it wasn't you know in a sense mm. that first season of Torchwood is is an exploration of what this idea yeah, is and isn't yeah. and there are episodes you know including ones that I've written where you go well, yeah, that's not no that's not quite what the show is and then there are other episodes where you go oh that's interesting we would never have thought I think of like there's an episode that Catherine Tregenna wrote called Out of Time which is about these three characters I think it's three who come through on a plane from the 1950s and land in Mendo and it's very little science fiction in it at all it's just about them now mm. beautifully emotional oh, it was really that, it was really it's like them getting the bus <laughs> in Cardiff now it's those scenes and brilliantly acted as well um, Louise Delamere was in that and uh, um, and you would never have expected necessarily that that was the show that connected up to this sort of prime suspect in the future episode one that Russell had written, not in the future, but prime suspect with sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, "We're just going to try everything. Let's do a horror film episode. Let's mm. do a uh, thing with an invisible character." Let's. Uh, and so, what was amazing about that was you you just took a deep breath and ran, you know, and you had to write fast, we had to produce fast, and, and so I wasn't involved so much in the first season because Russell. Uh, we were all just hanging on and Russell was mm. sort of saying what he did and didn't want it to be and we were sort of decoding that as much as anything. The second season I was much more across the whole thing and mm. and working on the sort of shape of it and, and working with the writers a lot, a lot more and and being in the edit a lot more and stuff like that. So, um, yes, I like it. I like, I like giving... I don't know about giving notes. I like being in a room with other writers and the collaborative process mm. and because it's... You know, it, once you've been through the process yourself, uh, uh, and it's a very obvious thing to say, but it's like it's much easier to spot the flaws mm. or the the things that you can fix in another person's script than your own. It's it's just it's a natural thing, you know. It's why that thing of well, because you're and you're always more critical about your own scripts, you know. It's it, so so being able to do that, I felt was great. And if you've got if you've done a certain amount of television, and I was just getting up to that point where I'd done a few, you could particularly in the second season, you could you could help mm. and you could work with people, and I I love that. And we did it on Law and Order UK as well. And actually, I loved putting that team together, which was Law and Order UK was sort of the first show I show ran by myself, right. really, because Russell was or Russell and Julie were always there. Torchwood, so I didn't have final say in Torchwood ever. I was just there to help where the gaps were, you know, so it was sl slightly organic or... or um, well, Law and Order presents its own unique challenge because you've got them all based on the American episodes. Yeah, yeah. But to anglify them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we did quite a lot of work, and a lot of them are very different, but actually... It was that was that, and that again came out of life on Mars, I think, really, because uh, Jane Featherstone. So this was a few years later, and then Jane Featherstone from Kudos had rung me up, who had obviously been the exec on Life on Mars, and said, "We've got this American format, and we're going to be the first people to do a UK version, and, well, an international version of it." Um, I can't tell you which one it is, but would you theoretically be interested in show running it? And I, I was, like, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> come back when you can tell me what it is. And um, and then she ran back and said, it's Law and Order. And so I went and watched a few Law and Orders. 
And she said, and we think it's going to be for ITV, and they want a big franchise. And ITV mm. were in real... This is, pre, you know, pre-down, so they were in... They didn't have much drama then. They didn't. They couldn't afford much, and the stuff they had wasn't working or it was very old. Or, and um, I watched it, and I thought, I know... I know how to do this on ITV. I know what needs to... I just instinctively felt, I know what needs to change. I know what... I know how you would shoot this. I know how you would cast it. I know what the tone has to be that's quite significantly different mm. to the US but still makes it feel like, for people who sort of love that show, mm. that they're watching an iteration of that yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, um, So that's why I took that. And actually and actually to do the, to take all I'd learned on Torchwood where I'd learned a lot and learned so much from Russell and and... But I really wanted to do that in my own show because I'd said at the end of season two of Tortured, look, I have, I can't do this anymore because it was so exhausting, and I'd written so much, and also it was just it was an impossible schedule. Mm. And they were talking about doing another season of thirteen episodes, and I was mm. like, and they were like, you can have it, you can run it, you can make it your own. And I was like, I, I think actually it's too it's too much, you know, um, because of where we started with Torchwood, mm. just everybody burned out so quickly. You know, people would burn yeah, out in yeah, the space yeah. of two drafts mm. because it was, you were like, okay, you've got a week and you've got five days. It was impossible, um, except it got done. You mm. know, that's the interest. That's, yeah, that's lesson, always the way, you know. though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and you've got 26 hours of television there. Mm. Um, uh, so with Law and Order, yeah, I, I felt like I could take everything I'd learned there and apply it to this thing uh and i knew itv needed a hit and i thought i know i think just sometimes you sort of know it's like when you know you want to write an idea but it's also the same sort of writer producery as well you think i kind of know what i want to do with that and then i talked to jane about it we talked to itv about it and they were all on board it all felt like we all wanted mm. to make the same show which is obviously easy when you're remaking something though equally that could no, have gone no, not at all you know and actually thing you like might not be what they like about yeah or the audience you know that's yeah. the thing and and uh, you know the big component in all of this we haven't talked about is the audience and writing for mm. an audience and writing for mainstream television shows yeah um and and I, I love doing that. I also love doing that because, like, the day it was announced it was going on to ITV, like, look, within a week there have been four different Guardian blogs saying, this is the shittest idea ever, this is a disaster waiting to happen, they've cast Bradley Walsh, what are they all... Th-? You know, it was like, this will die after episode two. And I was like, right. <laughs> it was like the best kind of fuel because I thought, no, I don't think it will, and I think we know what we're doing. And, mm. you know, the way we cast it with bringing Freema across mm. into that show and mm. just as she'd sort of hit a moment and giving Bradley his first proper drama role on ITV and really, you know, Bill Patterson and Harriet Watt, we, it was very strategically cast, so you were appealing to a lot of different mm. mainstream audiences. Mm-hmm. So that's so I love that. And then, and also we did a proper, you know, at the start of everything, we did a writer's room. So we had James, right, right. James Moran, Emilia yeah. Di Girolamo, Terry Cafola. These guys, we were all in a room. We, we went through the episodes. We had police advisors, legal advisors. And people gave thoughts on how we would adapt, what we'd need to change, what we'd want to change, how we'd update them. Um, it was a really nice room and very collaborative. And then everybody would go off and write their own scripts. Kath Trigena was part of that again. Um, was that so, the- yeah, I, like, I love that. Being in a writer's room, I love. Was that the first time you hooked up with Richard Stokes, producer? Uh, he was on Torchwood, actually. Ah. He produced both seasons of Torchwood, so I met him through that and then we're and and i think we both had the same feeling after you know two mm. seasons of that which was so fast so much and so much post-production i don't know how torture got made you know <laughs> whatever you know it's like we think that about nelson Nutmeg. yeah <laughs> well i think that about everything i mean you think how did we do that you know um 
And those ones where you don't know and it's impossible are the ones that you feel proudest of mm. in a way. You know, I don't like Camelot. We had endless resources. We had so much money and it didn't help. You know, it was yeah, like yeah, actually yeah, it made yeah, things yeah. worse in yeah, some yeah, ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, so yes, Richard and I had worked on Torchwood together and also James Strong had directed um, mm. some of Torchwood. Uh, and that's, yeah, a lot of those relationships started back there yes. there's nothing like having a relationship start in adversity in a way when, when you're up against it and thinking how do we do this this is impossible three scripts have just dropped out we don't have the budget we think we're gonna you know yeah that when you come out the other side of it you're like oh okay same with uh, sam hoyle it's like mm. we started at camelot where it was like this is awful this yeah. is a horrible process Never anyways up yeah, yeah up, well also then you go then you go well let's do a thing where it's fun and we yeah. do do the thing we want to do yeah, and, yeah, you know. yeah. was was doctor who after camelot was it like your um re- Rehabilitation? <laughs> no, no. I'm Broadchurch was my rehabilitation. Okay. Um, uh, Doctor Who was so I first did one in between seasons one and two of Torchwood, right? Um, which even in itself we were also knackered at the end of uh, season one of Torchwood uh, and still trying to figure out what it was, you know. And then then I got asked whether I wanted to do an episode of Doctor Who, and I think they sort of Julian Russell were like, oh, there's, there's a you know, it's a reward for getting through Torchwood. But actually, then that turned out to be so that was in David Tennant's third season, and and that was I we had such a small amount of time. We talked about it at the start of the season of Torchwood, then gone off to do Torchwood. And then when we came back to talk about it at the end of the season, Torchwood, the idea had completely changed. The idea oh, they right, talked yeah, about yeah. originally, they couldn't afford to do at all. And so it was like, OK, it's on a spaceship, there's a sun, I need at least half the episode to be in corridors. Yeah. <laughs> it was like one of those. And, and we're shooting prep. I think we finished Torchwood in November and then they were starting shooting this episode in January. So it was like, mm. it was probably about... There was such a small amount of writing time uh, that it was... So that was that, and then I went off, and then and then I did one for Stephen uh, in Matt's Matt Smith's first mm. season. Did a two parter, and then did another did another two the year after that. So so it's been sort of dotted mm. dotted through. Uh, Broad Church, Broad Church, yeah. If you want, yeah. Time wise, man. Oh, how yeah. long is it? Oh God, I'm just thinking. We're just half an hour ago. rambling no, no, on. No, no. Right. Uh, so yeah, I like I like the fact that you kicked into that as a uh, as a spec do you yeah. do you hold it because of your local connection because of that emotional uh drive to get it done did you find yourself being much more protective of it as a, a an, an idea did you do you know what i mean Was yes. it, do, you, do you feel much more like this is really me and you became quite Quite, yeah, quite, I quite, think quite, quite, you know, like huddling it around. Well, I don't think you are huddling. No, I think as a showrunner, that's not what you're doing. You're not because you just did this the thing yeah. of putting your arms I around did, the I thing, did, didn't I you? Did. I was, act, and, I was acting. It no, out it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It's perfect radio. <laughs> um, uh, I think that 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 action of putting mm. your arms around a project or a script that is it, that's not what a showrunner is. It's mm. sort of the opposite mm. of that. I think almost that's what that's that's what uh, that's the. the the dangerous default position of a writer is you mm. write a script and you yeah. put your arms around it and you go, you can't come near this. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is perfect. Yeah. And, you know, and actually what you have to learn to do as a writer is to yeah. open up and yeah, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I need to take in lots of feedback. Yeah. I need to take in budget. I, I, you know, I know that Chris, if you, uh, but what I'm saying is I could see how you could work, yes. totally go with that all through your career because yeah, till you got to Broadchurch, then you might suddenly have found yourself thinking because of the, 
way that you wrote it and yes. why you wrote it, that yeah. you might suddenly have felt. And even with all your producing it. experience as well, to go, well, I know what I'm doing here. So yeah, it's, it's was just, it a change? I, I think or, obviously I, it sounds like not is the I, answer. I think yeah. you never know what you. The point at which you think you know what you're doing, it's like you got to watch for that because you know because every every day is different. Yeah, you know, and there's so many. You've done this. You've made mm. a film. It's like every variable mm. is in play mm. all the time. Yeah, That's the kid who went off and had a haircut or that hat on that person or those pair of shoes that would just destroy the whole story because mm. they don't feel true mm. let alone weather or yeah, running yeah, yeah, times yeah. or story points mm. you know um, so it was more that I felt felt like I knew what it was and often with all these things sometimes you know what things are mm. sometimes you have the no, sometimes you have the time to figure out what things are mm. do you know what I mean like uh, the time you spend on a project has a concrete effect and sometimes you just come to it and you think I'm really clear from the first minute what this is you know mm. like writing my first episode of Doctor Who I was like I'm just not sure what this is because we haven't had any time mm. the thing that I'd been percolating mm. on during yeah. the time we were making Torchwood mm. has gone it's out the window yeah, yeah. and now we've got six weeks and we've got all these li- and I'm not quite sure what the centre of it is mm. um, and you have to find that and you're scrabbling around and you're exhausted with Broadchurch it was like I was quite clear what the centre of it was quite mm. clear what the purpose of it was and then also I think working with someone you know working with Sam mm. you were able to just talk it out and talk yeah. And talk and talk and talk and actually that I found that really valuable and she's mm. the script exec on, on on all the the series and but she's also the head of development of the company I have now and it's like it's it's also keeping clever people mm. yeah, close to yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. and cleaving to them and returning to them and going you know um, uh, and so it I think I went in quite clearly with it but also when I wrote it it wasn't like we'll take this to a broadcast I said we'll do it I'll write it and then we'll decide and maybe later on in the year we'll take it to Sky Atlantic mm. was just starting up then yeah. it'll be a little yeah, cable yeah. show and it'll get 20,000 people mm. and you know because it's going to be very personal it's going to yeah, you know yeah, I want yeah, to put yeah. so I was quite clear what it was I'd written the script we'd done some storylines together I'd taken photos so I'd, so I'd put mm. a load of photos of the landscape into an iTunes presentation and put some music from the social network over this presentation mm. So I had a th- I had like a package yeah. of just going. This is what it's going to feel like as well. Mm. Um, and then um, uh, we said, well, uh, and as I was writing it and afterwards, I was like, but imagine if it, you know, if you could put it on like something like ITV and people watched it. God, that would be exciting, <laughs> you know, and that would be great. And we were like, but they're never going to do it because they never do. It, everything's yeah. episodic. They don't do serials really. Mm. Um, and so, but I've just phoned up Laura Mackey, um, who I knew, who was head of drama there, and and who I known from Law and Order, and we got on really well on Law and Order, and that had been a big hit for them, and we'd had a good time doing it. And I just said, I've written this script, I haven't told anybody else about it, which is like that <laughs> Julie Gardner yeah, thing. Of, Nobody some, knows about this. It's a secret. He's now, he's now using their tricks against them. <laughs> yeah. them. Well, that's exactly what you have to do. Um, learning from the best. I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said nobody else knows about it. You know, it's okay. So it's a murder mystery. It's, a, it's an eight episodes. It's all one story. I had this sort of two minute mm. picture, and she just went, "Oh, I think our audience is probably ready for one of those," mm. which was the biggest shock. She was like, "Okay, send it to me," and so I emailed it to her. She read it really quickly, and she rang back and said this is really interesting mm. and we're okay we want to pair you up with someone and this is very interesting for us and so we did a bit so she suggested Kudos because mm. we'd done Law and Order together and they were wanting a show from Kudos and that's how it how it went on really and, and they got mm. greenlit very quickly mm. from there wow. um, but I think you have to 
I, I think as a showrunner, your job is to broaden the circle. Mm. So what you're trying to do, instead of having your arms around mm. it, you're, what you're trying to do is bring everybody in. You're trying to form a, mm. a, a locked circle where everybody in that circle is making the same show. Mm. The, the sort of when you talk about showrunning, and it's slightly, it's not, it's a tricky word that because you're mm. not running the whole show because mm. there's a brilliant producer, yeah, there's yeah, a line exactly, producer, yeah. there's another executive producer. Yeah. There's, uh, but as a, a writer producer, what you're trying to do is have everybody share the same vision mm. and want to make that show. Mm. So what you're trying to do is just spread that creative sense and but also make it really a make, joyous process. As you well. make it sound you make it sound too easy, Chris, I think. But but or maybe you find it is easy because I can e- so easily and maybe this did happen, tell us if it did, but you could easily end up with a conversation which is just like, Chris, we love your show here. Um now there's some great, you know, location offerings going on if we shoot this in Dundee. Yes. And is that, do you, do you, do you then feel if someone says things like that, that they're not on board with your vision or would you be, would you be happy to have a chat about that or would you part ways or what would you think about? I think you, you always have the conversations. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's two things, isn't it? Always take a meeting mm. as a writer, always have a conversation, mm. you know. And, and also don't necessarily conclude, make conclusions in the room. You know, it's like, right, you right. know. Have a little I, think. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's like you just go, okay, yeah, you hear people out. And mm. I think that's sometimes mm. easy not to do. I remember very early on reading a, reading a thing from some American script executive or somebody who just went, the only thing about, the, the only meeting etiquette you need is uh, for a script meeting is you know have a good breakfast and take lots of notes mm. and it's really that and it's like you don't need to fight your battles in the room because it's like something that sounds like a terrible idea in the room mm. a day later mm. after mm. you've been on the train home yeah. you just go oh that solves everything and I couldn't see it because I was so attached mm. to that yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. I like letting things percolate is yeah. the biggest lesson you can ever learn yeah. it's the same with producing really mm. is you you know you have a sense of it but if but if somebody came out and gone here, here are the Dundee landscapes, and mm. they're better than what you've mm. got. Mm. Um, no, I've been mm. completely open to that. I mean, it, the the lucky thing, it wasn't like I wanted to be here because it's my hometown, mm. and I wanted to be here because I actually I thought cinematically, yeah. visually, yeah. I hadn't seen anything yeah. better, untapped, at, and I was like, we can look at anywhere, but. Mm look at these cliffs mm. and I, I, they've never really been properly filmed mm. and I think they'll be a big mm. thing I think they could be iconic mm. um, it's a dip, that's you say that with a bit of bravado at the start because you don't necessarily believe yourself you know yeah, 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 now yeah. they are iconic and yeah. that's very weird and mm. I feel you know I feel slightly uncomfortable saying it mm. now mm. Um, but uh, no I think you're I think um I think you, you can't be too quick to go. No, you have a sense because also people may be saying that financially. Yeah, they may. You know, it's where you sort of tapping at why they're saying that. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and certainly the conversations on Broadchurch at the beginning were, um, I'm sure we can find these cliffs somewhere else. Mm. And I, I, the conversation was me saying, I don't think you will, but yeah, let's yeah. look. Yeah, you know, and and in the end, people signed up for it. But it was very difficult. There's no studio base down here. There's no exactly, crew base. Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, we had to yeah. base ourselves in Bristol and travel down. It's not a cheap show to make. Mm, it's mm. a really hard show to make, Port George. Mm. Um, and got harder in the second season when I then added in a whole other layer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. But equally, you want to be pushing it. So, um, yeah, I, I think you, you're constantly... It's a dialogue. Mm. It, it, and it really has to be in particularly producing because also... What, what did you think about, um, obviously, first... 
series season, depending on where you're uh, yeah, at. Yeah, I, I, I do both. Yeah, yeah no, it depends on when our, where our listeners are from as well. But uh, went obviously spectacularly yes, well, you know, yes. very well received yes. by a good range of people, if yes. you see what I mean. Like yes, very, yes, yes. Very, uh, it's in a... I was, I was going to make a broad church pun then. I've stopped myself. I've stopped myself. Um, and um, so anyway, went 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 down really well. And then obviously, you know, everyone's thinking about doing a, a second. Yes. You know, one of it. Yeah. You know, what did, what was your take on that originally? Would you do when you did the first uh, uh, episodes? Were you like, well, that's the story. You know, start to finish. Concluded. And you hadn't even yeah concluded. Mm-hmm. You know, very well. And we, did you even ever want to do? You know, an idea of a second shout at it, or was that their idea and you were no, having no. an R in, or how no. did what? I always wanted to do the trial because right. I thought I've never seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought I, if I always I, so the f- whole reason of the show is there is an event which happens sort of almost before the show started. Mm. You know, in a minute mm. before the titles. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. and then and then the show is about the ripples and the yeah. aftermath of yeah. that. And actually, I thought I. I see that this season is about the investigation, mm. but actually, if you look at real life cases and all that mm. kind of stuff, that killer very rarely pleads guilty. Mm. It just they, mm. and then the family have to go through this most excruciating yeah. trial. Yeah, and w- we did a lot of research on both series, and what mm. you hear from the families who've been through these terrible things is the trial is as bad as yeah, reliving yeah, it. Reliving yeah, it. yeah, <laughs> and worse because you're being doubted and mm. your lives are being called into mm. question mm. when you've done nothing. Mm. You've done nothing and mm. this guy has pulled you through the mm. system. And and when we were researching the second season, there was a lot of thing about the families have been put through this and actually that the trial process is not set up mm. families. It's set up to be antagonistic. It's yeah, set up yeah, to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought I hadn't seen that mm. and I hadn't and I thought how what I was really interesting to me as a writer was to go into a trial Knowing what the truth is, and knowing yeah, yeah, yeah. those characters, I hadn't seen a courtroom drama that had mm, done that, mm. and and knowing the people who were going through it, and knowing the sort of empirical truth. Mm. Um, and did you ever consider, or did you ever consider, just doing almost the trial with, with, it, to go quite bold with it and go, yeah, second, you know, maybe it would be a shorter, maybe it would be four. Parts. Well, funnily enough, course, funnily enough, funnily enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like Crown Court if you go well, that I, way, I had that thought way. Maybe know. we could do like a. I think when I'd originally sent it to ITV, it was like, well, maybe we could do like a five nights in a row. Here's the trial special oh, yeah. event. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah exactly. Um, but I think then um, I don't know. I think then you, then you have to think: Will the audience yeah. stay with that? Yeah, because that's a different genre almost. Well, it, and I think the second series is a different genre from yeah. the first. But I think there's there's it was a big handbrake turn one to two, mm. very deliberately. And mm. and this is the conversation I had with ITV was. Mm. I mean, the conversation. Well, you know, let me finish that that thought first. Mm. But I think uh, so. I think it probably would have been asking too much. I mm. think if you were doing it on. A cable channel. I think if you're doing it on HBO or Showtime or you know even Sky Atlantic, I, I think that's fine. If you're getting you know mm. if you're getting a million, then I think your audience that audience is probably quite hardcore and will stay mm. with you. But actually, um, I think on ITV and and you've got a responsibility to do something else. And also, there was still that layering of the the, the first case, the Sambrook case in the first mm, season mm. anyway. So it felt like, well, we could tell two stories and they could resonate. And particularly at the end, they sort mm. of all come together and, and 
coalesce. So um, we could have done that. I think mm. I think it would have felt too much too of a, late, too different too much of a departure. Yeah, I mean, I you know, y- you never know. I mean, I think going into but interestingly, you know, what was amazing about ITV is from the start they always said, "Well, this show isn't about ratings for us." You know, when they green lit it, they were like. Mm. Okay, you've got eight weeks. Just do something really good <laughs> and get a great cast, and you know. Mm. But you don't have to get big ratings. And then when it came out, it was like, oh, I mean, gradually because it didn't happen until sort of week yeah, four yeah, or yeah. five. Really, it sort of mm. grew. Um, and then when I went to pitch them season two, I was like, it's not going to be. You, this isn't going to be the same thing. Mm. And actually, for me, that thing I was saying to you about. Mm. feeling I've done something mm. and then not wanting to repeat myself yeah, yeah, yeah. is so evident in Broadchurch and is the, the show is b- built on that. Yeah. And so we had a very frank conversation. It was like, this won't get the same ratings, it won't get the same response because a courtroom drama mm. is very difficult. They're much less popular in this country. Like, legal dramas mm. struggle in this country. Mm. Um, and But I wanted to show that family's emotional mm. journey. So uh, we all sort of went into it with our eyes open mm. going... It's very unlikely to repeat the success, but actually that's you have to keep to what the DNA of the show is. Mm. And a lot of the DNA of the show was do something a bit different with the form. Mm. And so I kind of give them great credit, Peter Fincham and Steve November and Victoria Fee, at going, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Well, you know, they, they backed us. And, was, and it's a more they, awkward second season, but also... Because yeah. there was a bit of... Hoo ha, wasn't there? It was a huge amount. Well, there was a huge well, it amount. It feels a huge amount to you because you're, <laughs> yeah. you're taking well, it, it personally. Well, I'm not, <laughs> yes. I, but, but equally, I didn't read any of it either. So I was well, like, because I, I, knew, I knew I couldn't this time. Yeah. I didn't read much the first time around, but I knew it had gone well because you just felt. Yeah. It was the same with the second time around. I was actually out of the country for the first two episodes researching something else. And um, the. And then I sort of just knew when I got back. It's also sorts of people come up to you and go, "I really like the second series." It doesn't matter what the Daily Mail says, and you're like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm not reading anything, but I'm getting a sense of it now." Um, and you, uh, so yeah, I, yes, there was. I mean, I, I my understanding is it was based on the, you know, you know, some of the attacks were based on the legal accuracy, mm. but actually, we did so much work on that. I am like, mm. I, I think also. Whenever you do the legal stories, there are so there is a diversity and a plurality of opinion. Yeah. Um, and but we did a lot of work, and I went back and checked at the end of the but series. I think that's also because, in a way, it's got such a realistic yes. visual. I mean, so, yes, yes, yes. Like, I mean, yes. Myself and Danny, both fans of the Good Wife, but I mean, come on, yeah. that after that's just crazy nonsense. In yeah, the yeah, yes. But yes. you let it go because it's all flashy and yes. you know, yes. Uh, whereas yours got a very realistic look to it. And we took our time, bit, and it's very much about mm. internal drama, yeah. and it's got yeah. that sensitivity about yeah. it, and. Um, uh, just kind of delicate nature about it. So therefore, yes. if things are just like a word or two wrong, suddenly everyone's like, "Oh, I think that's right." And you <laughs> absolutely do have to change words because you would be never... there forever. I mean, I genuinely, it's like the scene's still got to be drama. And so, yeah. but what we do is we research to within an inch of our lives, yeah. and then you go, "Okay, so dramatically within the scene, this is what I'm going to do." And you take that back, and mm. those lawyers read. You know, we have mm. three different people read every script. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, advisors mm. and uh, you go is this okay is this mm. too far and, and they're coming back going no that's fine you know mm. and and also they understand it's drama so yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a slightly difficult position to be in because you want to go we really considered this and we really considered everything we did really thoughtfully mm. and you're being attacked for being cavalier which is not what we were we mm. just weren't and you should see the you know we've got the emails yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the email trail is endless um, uh, and but equally you want to say 
It's my story. Mm. It's my story. I can tell this how I want. It's mm. not up to you. You don't tell me in the Daily Mail how to tell my story. Mm. That's literally writing by committee. Mm. If you think that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, so, so what you have to do is stay silent. Mm. And then at the end, I wrote an article for The Guardian. because it was, that, yeah. Because it was just, I just wanted to set the yeah. record straight. And because mm. it was starting to be a bit like, they didn't really bother. Mm. It's like, we bothered. And here, look at the names of our advisors. They are very... Um, uh, well-regarded professionals mm. in the legal profession. We had the same. No win situation, though. No, you can't win. But I sort of knew that going in yeah. because every legal drama gets attacked. Mm. Um, uh, if you look historically, all of them. Mm. You know, there's some bloggers who literally did a blog on all the legal inaccuracies in one show. You know, years mm. ago. Um, so yeah, you can't. You have to develop a bit of a suit of arm, but also you have to go. The thing about series two of Broadchurch is it was never designed to repeat mm. the first series kind of narratively, emotionally um, and it's designed to stretch what you can do on the channel in mm. drama and to go, okay, this is difficult and awkward and complex and it goes back to the first season, you need to have paid attention mm. you need to remember that, it's really hard we made it very challenging um, but equally I wouldn't change our decisions You know, yeah. I really feel like the story, I told the story I wanted yeah, to yeah, tell yeah, yeah. and we went into it and I went into it knowing what you could, <laughs> knowing that it, it wasn't going to, it was unlikely to hit in the same way that the first yeah. one hit. Because also the same, the first one is imperfect. There are lots of problems with it. We just, you just, yeah. people, and it had that, but it had the element of surprise on fact, uh, didn't it? That's absolutely, thing, yeah, so. yeah. And to be fair, Julian Fellows did come up to me at the when David got an award at the National Television mm. Awards. We were all there. I met Julian Fellows afterwards, mm. and he said, "Oh, they, I see." He said, "I meant to write to you before your show went out, going, they'll come for you yeah, because yeah. he said they came for us in our second season yeah, because yeah, we were yeah, successful yeah, yeah, yeah. on you know whether that's true or not. I mean, I think it was a more difficult proposition the second season. And what I love is." Our viewing figures are essentially the same. Yeah. You know, the audience didn't it sneak past it even? Uh, I well, it, some of the episodes did yeah. and some of them didn't, but the the average is within a hundred thousand, right? And that's not including ITV Player, which is more, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 so yeah. it's like it, it it doesn't make any difference. It's hard to be at the centre of that and try and block it out, you yeah. know. So I think you know, I feel like. I wasn't a genius on the first season and I'm not an idiot on the second. And it's, you know, it's like you just, you just carry on doing the job. Nice that's middle ground. Averages out, Chris. <laughs> you know, we'll be right over, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm I think still... Stella might be all right. He's all right. He's, He's all right. He's still, right. you know, I think if Stormy Norman's on YouTube, everyone can go and watch that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the... See what the viewing figures on that are. <laughs> that was probably like 20. <laughs> Chris, can you tell us anything about a third series or not? I can tell you that it's happening. Okay. I can tell you that uh, we're the reason those those boards are <laughs> facing the other way. If there's some work on there, uh, we're researching and storylining at the moment. Okay. It will. It will. I mean, I think you know everything we've talked about today mm. is in play for the third season in terms of okay. it will be different again. Be different again. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's and that, and that I think is the. I think what Broadchurch is across its entirety is is. A slightly bigger picture than mm. than just that first season. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I, it hasn't. I haven't been thrown off course by mm. because I think it's like Good. it's my story. It's not based on anything. It's not you know. So you're it's not that... playing it safe for the third one. No, Great. no, no. That's no. What we want oh God, no. So no. which on the idiot genius scale for the third one though? 
It's, <laughs> well, 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 you'll have to tell me in, yeah. in a couple of years, won't you? We'll have to invent something, a new category. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. In order to keep us surprised, he's going to have to play it safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, You're messing I, with my mind, Chibnall. I certainly think in all the conversations we've had so far, both with ITV and with Kudos, it's the, the, there is no sense of playing it safe. And I right. think it's, you know, because, because I think that's what, the audience want from the show and even if they find the, the journey yeah, yeah, tricky yeah, yeah. you know and, and actually you know the other thing about serials and mm-hmm. funnily enough I was having this conversation uh, with a couple of people a couple of other writers uh, and, and it's like it's hard during transmission of a serial um, or you know one complete story to sort of around about episode four or five when people are going oh I don't really understand it or it's a bit complicated and you just want to go just hang on mm-hmm. because it's all you're, you are only halfway through the story yeah and you know get to episode 7 get to episode 8 get to episode 6 it will become clear and mm. and you have to it's that's a new form for all of us mm. now you know mm. um, uh, so you have to keep your counsel a bit mm. because well, when, the other, but the other on the other flip side of that like of what's interesting about Broadchurch is you know even but before ad breaks let alone the end of the episode there's little teases yes oh very much so now, yeah, the, yeah. so the other thing that you've got to do of course which you do do is is deliver upon the tease yes like you know yes. so people yes. can get a bit jaded towards that if they yes. feel the payoff never comes perhaps yes. in a lost yes yeah yeah yeah, way, yeah. you know yeah. Um, so I think you do have that contract with the audience almost where if you do do a lot of teases you do have to do, do, you know deliver but you, you, you're right people do seem to want it always don't they they want to be surprised yes <laughs> but then they almost like oh but I don't know what's happening for five minutes you know we, we, that's yes. the point because there's a surprise coming up every one yes you know, and it's, it's, it's a it's, tricky balance that's, that's that Jimmy McGovern quote isn't there if, you know I, I'd rather the audience be confused for ten minutes than bored for thirty seconds mm, yeah you know? and I think yes yeah. that's true is you you have what you're asking the audience is a lot of these forms now are actually stretching what you're demanding of the audience and it's mm. more difficult on ITV mm. because you, because the, they're not attuned to that in the same way but the, it that's happening more now um but you're going I promise you by the end of episode 8 this will be satisfying yeah, yeah. and it will be more satisfying because you've been yeah. sort of this in it. the dark and yeah. you know and yeah. and so what you hope is you're delivering on the end mm. um uh, well, we're we're not really fans of yours, Chris, because every time we were filming anywhere, I mean, bearing in mind our micro-budget feature film actually looked like kind of ten people standing around with a big reflector, that uh, people would come up to us and say, "Are you, are you, are you broad?" Excitedly, <laughs> and we go, "No," and then they walk off. <laughs> oh, it's just a kids' film. <laughs> Yeah, but at least you didn't have the paparazzi pictures in the paper. Yeah, Look at no, it that no, way. No, no, we wanted your that. We wanted that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll go out and just say yes. That was the only yes, people that never are. came up to us. Was the was anyone from the press? I'll, it was, it was I'll always swap some you. old deer. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Right, well, we better wrap it up. I guess so. That's I mean, I, I, think just, I know you could talk all day. No, just, so this this I, is yeah. the beginning of the interview, Chris. We've okay. Yes. Okay. That's how we make two parts. We haven't asked any writing questions. Oh well, you can ask me some writing questions. Well, let's end on a writing question. All right, end on the in writing In terms question. of uh, craft, 
yes. writing, yeah. how much would you be aware or rely on it as you're right as you're plotting as you're writing? Would you be aware of especially TV? Yeah, it's like uh, an ITV, I guess. Yeah, that's like well, that's my end of part there. Oh, absolutely, it's it's everything. Yeah, it's everything. So, uh, but is that something you latched onto in the early days of your career, or is it yeah. something that you kind of evolved it into? Uh, relatively early, um, I was I was lucky in that there was a once a development project on a on a Merlin project before the the series that series that got to transmission happened where the BBC brought over a couple of American writers so Rockney O'Bannon who created Farscape and Richard Manning who was a writer on it um, and with Sue Hogg and Simon Lewis while we were doing Born and Bread we were sort of looking at developing a Merlin mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and these guys came over and taught us how to do act structures and mm-hmm. whiteboarding and writers rooms and things oh, like the that the American way yeah, yeah yeah and so I got a, 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 oh, yeah. a master class in that yeah. and I've worked that way ever since so with Broadchurch for instance, I mean everything is is whiteboard. That's why I have three double sided ones over there in the corner. So we every episode. So you break the series down into episodes. Break the episodes down into four acts because you can't. I think if you're writing an ITV or a commercial drama hour and you don't break it into four chunks, you're not replicating the experience mm. the audience has. Mm. So so it's very clear. We have a, often a slight pre-title the image or yeah. something, then then the first act, a big cliffhanger, you know, or yeah. a cliffhanger, you know, same for acts two, three, and then a big cliffhanger at mm. four. So everything is geared towards that structure and then probably, you know, five or six kind of story beats, not scenes, but so, but that's how your storyline is. You, you, is that how you did the spec? Yes. Oh, great. Yes, how did everything? How did Camelot? How did um, I can't remember what I did before that. <laughs> Law and Order didn't no, didn't do so much on the whiteboards, and it's been, but um, yeah, it, 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 craft is everything. And also, it's like the thing about craft is you can learn craft. In fact, you're obliged to learn yeah. craft. You don't have to agree with. Uh, there's no sort of one uh, absolute structure. So, however you choose to do it. But I think the notion that there is a shape and that... that But do you tap into that, Chris? So um, not structure so much, so you've answered the structure question. Yeah. But maybe other techniques or writing techniques. Do you you kind of... Sounds like you're saying you don't really sort of follow those in a religious. You're not signed up to a certain no. style of. You come from a character-driven background, really, in the theatre. I, I do, yeah. I, I think that's. But how... do you dip into those if you need them? So if so you feel like you're stuck, what? give me an example. Uh, do I have a thing for when I'm stuck? Yeah, like no, do... I go for a walk. Yeah, I go for a long I mean. walk. Actually, take so an don't... idea out for a walk. Lynn you... Coughlin, who's so a brilliant you, writer. You don't get a script um, guru book off the shelf no. if you're stuck. No. Um, but you might be aware of some of those ideas within it. I am. I'm suspicious stuff. of the script guru books that okay. aren't written by people who haven't written lots of scripts. Right. Yeah. Because the moment you like every script is great theoretically, and you can. <laughs> but actually, when you get it in front of an actor and a director, and you know this if you've done your film, yeah. you know it's like, and you've yeah. done, had plenty of things uh, made. It's yeah. like that's what you learn in theatre. It's like yeah, okay, but does it, you know you got? It's not. Uh, um, it's not a mathematical mm. exercise. Mm. It's an exercise in emotion mm. and excitement, and uh, so that structure and craft can help you, but it's not going to solve anything. Mm. And actually, yeah, we, we always come from character, and everything I've always done, you know, for for a long time. And this is probably in the last five or six years, I feel like I'm a very different writer to when I was doing mm. Torchwood and, you know, a lot of my Doctor Who's mm. and stuff like that. I feel very different now. Mm. Um, but you go, what would this character do in this situation? Mm. What, how would they really behave? Really, really behave? Mm. Um, uh, and that feels very important. So if you marry that with 
the, the craft and the structure and the demands of your form because you know a play has a different demand to you know with a play you're building to a, an interval you know so you're going okay across the act what is the shape of that across that first hour you know and why are they not going home at the interval you know it's like you know Stephen Moffat has that great um uh theory of you you should always start i think he talks about it when he writes that, that he starts with the notion that he's writing for the person who is standing in the doorway of the lounge <laughs> about to leave yeah. Yeah, and his great, job great, great. is to pull them back into the room great. and have them sit down and you gradually do it with various mm. things and actually it's you know that's the so there's there's all kind of, I, I love that kind of image it's great and i, I, I yeah i, I just, that's something to hold on to if you see what I'm yeah. saying. But how did you struggle, um, or do you not find it a struggle? Like, <laughs> no, I do. I don't know what you're talking about, but I definitely <laughs> yeah, find yeah. it a struggle. <laughs> it's okay, all a struggle. struggle. Here's the struggle. Here's the struggle thing, because you've got, all right, so you've got that person walking out of the room. You've got yeah. that in your mind. Yeah. You've got your, I need a cliffhanger within the next three minutes. <laughs> and meanwhile, you've kind of got characters that are doing emotional things, yeah. but you're thinking, well, hang on, none of these are actually kind of life or death issues. They're kind of more bubbling along issues. Do you ever find yourself kind of trying to shoehorn in those cliffhanger things, especially on a show like Broadchurch, which is kind of now famous for it? You know, how mm. do you kind of keep all that in the mix or would you say that's that's the eternal struggle that's the... I think I think it is the eternal struggle I think how you define a cliffhanger is really interesting mm. um and and how we define it in Broadchurch is very ha- different to how you do it in a genre show mm. you know uh, I mean a, a high concept show like mm. The Torchwood or a Doctor mm. Who um I think you uh, I think what gets you, there's two things that get somebody back in the room I think you know one is excitement and narrative twist and the, but the second is I really care about that person up on screen I want to know what happens to them next mm. so that doesn't have to be a big cliffhanger which is life or death mm. it can be like oh that's tricky what are they what decision are they going to make or are they going to tell their husband or mm. yeah. are that you know that thing that he's hiding what what is that mm. um so I think it's I think it, emotion gets you back in the room as much as anything mm. and people we care about and people mm. you know I, I think possibly that's my worry about script guru stuff. I don't read many books that say you just need to love the people you're writing mm. about mm. and you need to understand them and they need to be contradictory. And I think that's something like Russell's writing is so extraordinary about. You adore those people. They're often quite selfish mm. and do things that you think, oh, oh yeah. God, why have you cucumber. done that? Yeah, I mean, oh. Cucumber is a masterclass in that and you are weeping for those people. You adore them. Um, and... Uh, so I think making people care is is a bigger part of the job is as big as craft mm, mm. because actually what we go to see in the theatre or what we want to see on television is ourselves mm. really and and that can be reflected back that but that can be ourselves in space in the twenty seconds forty second century you know or but you're looking for an emotional resonance you're not just looking for excitement actually yeah, yeah. you know Alien is you know the story of a crew being menaced you know of uh, by their greatest primal fear you know all our primal fear what's in the dark what's this thing that's coming to battle us and so i think it's as much that really and as much as you start from narrative as much as you should be aware of narrative structure i think starting from what people would do and how they would behave in a particular situation feels really really important and it certainly feels where television is scoring now Mm. both here and in the US and on Netflix it's like it's about time with characters movies can't do that Mm. movies are essentially short stories television is a novel and Mm. a brilliant novel I think that's really interesting because actually movies 
and now trying to be more like television. Mm. You know, you look mm. at all the, the Marvel. Marvel thing yeah. is essentially one big long series. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, um, with trailers at the end for next week. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, character, character and emotion. Uh, They'll lead the structure in a way. I mean, I'm, I think so. Yeah, because yeah. I, I remember I did a brief stint of storylining an Irish soap, which is only a half hour long, but mm. immediately on the board we'd write hook for the mm. for the end of part one and the uh, cliff for the end mm. of episode. And often we'd have those two moments before we'd even begin plotting the rest mm. because of the brief storyline that had come through or yeah. whatever. But then we found the hook became the start of the episode. Yeah, uh, yeah that's often the case. You often move stuff It's just up. like this yeah. isn't, you know, Robert, because of all the character discussion that went on around mm. it. Yeah, because once you arrive at those character moments, you realise that you care far more about that than a sort of engendered, plotted narrative term because yeah. that's like that just becomes sort of melodrama if you're not mm. careful. And actually, what you what you really care about is just who's who's in trouble, who's not in mm. trouble, who's threatening someone. I think if you start, I mean, the whole of Broadchurch is predicated on what would it really feel like to be in the midst of these police procedurals mm. that we see all the time mm. on television actually it's just just everybody slow down and now what's it like for that family that normally has one scene what's it yeah, like for these yeah, police yeah, people yeah, yeah. what's it like for them when they go home mm. you know and on the sunday and in the evening and mm. you know how do how do things carry on going on and i think that's tv is really an amazing form for that at the moment the space you can create mm. to really investigate the complexities of mm. of people you know so uh, yeah, and, and that's what we did. The very first thing I did in Broadchurch was I just, on one of the whiteboards there, I, I put Danny in the centre mm. of the whiteboard and then just drew lines out to everybody who would be affected. Right, yeah, You know, yeah, his yeah, family, yeah. OK, yeah. that's obvious. But then his teachers, OK, mm. the local press, because they'd have to report mm. on it, the police, obviously, the guy who runs the news agent, you know, everybody who could possibly mm. come into contact with him. And in a way, when you're creating a show, certainly that thing of going... This world is not. You, you don't define. You, you do the world before you do the plotting, mm. and actually go. Who? What are all our possibilities? And that's uh, that feels a great way to start. And then hopefully you get interested in those characters, mm. and they give it, characters will give you plot. Mm. Plot won't necessarily give you character. Plot might give you archetypes. You know. Write that down. <laughs> I don't even know if it's true. <laughs> oh, it feels like true. like that matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, can sell, we can sell that sell on it. a t-shirt, mate. Don't yeah, we'll worry put it on a, a, a coast pad. We'll put it on a coast yeah. Oh yeah, nice. and a mug. Yeah, yeah. and a mug. Yeah, exactly. with your name instead of Winston Churchill. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. we've, we've got to wrap it up, Danny. Oh my God. Okay. Well, Sorry about that. Sorry Danny about looks that. very upset now. Yeah, well, it's well, like, how long has it been? Can, I'm, I'm going to remember, I've got to go and distract him now. We've turned off all phones and watches, so I don't know what time exactly. it is. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's getting on. Okay. So, well, uh, that makes up for the one that we missed, because we're, we're a month short anyway. Yeah, well, maybe we split this into two with a cliffhanger in the middle. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, maybe we need to go and work the cliffhanger. <laughs> That's <though>. good. That's <laughs> good. Right. Well, you know, Chris Jibnell, thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. And we'll, um, we'll keep an eye out for future things from yourself. We've added excitement now. <laughs> good but now we know where it's been written yeah, yeah. we can visualise we can visualise it and we've seen the whiteboard the and everything we'll take a picture of the whiteboard as, a, as the uh, poster for the podcast yes so, do that so we'll do that blank at the minute Chris has got nothing there's nothing, nothing there he's doing the gardener technique on us I've got something there but you can't nothing. see it there's nothing on the other side of it there's nothing he's got nothing folks so that's the end of Chris we're glad to meet you at the end of your career Chris and it's the memorial we podcast we wish you the best with the uh, with the 
retirement. Thank you. Yeah. It's very good. The garden's looking nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Well, listeners, I uh, hope you've enjoyed uh, that lengthy episode, but it's... Um, we got into it, so we wanted to know all about Chris's uh, ideas and his life and his career and how it's all gone and the craziness. Uh, we'll be back uh, at some point in the in the in the future. I've given that promising quite when it will be because it depends on when we can snaffle people for an interesting chat. But we're looking forward to doing maybe a series of um, uh, writers who have then made uh, you know directed or produced. So we're going to maybe look at doing that uh, as a kind of a mini series. Uh, still the same podcast, still the same place to find it all, but that might be a little theme we do over the next few episodes. So uh, if you're interested in actually moving from being just a writer into being a producer-writer or a writer-director, uh, then those are definitely going to be of interest uh, to you, and I'm sure we'll have some more interviews scattered along the way. Danny, anything to add? No, wrap up, man. <laughs> <laughs>